So I would say that the landscape is just ever evolving with what we get presented, right? High inflation, now they're raising interest rates. We just came out of a pandemic. There's always a political landscape that's evolving and changing within Canada and globally, frankly. I think it's not necessarily that it's getting worse for business owners. I think it's just getting different. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest today, Ms. Julie Shipley Strickland. How are you, Julie? I'm wonderful, Tyler. How are you? I am so good. It is so, um, we've been, of course, chit-chatting away, as all my guests know happened before I push record. And we've quickly come to the realization that we literally almost at different times in the world live down the street from each other in, in, the, in the West Island, a.k.a. the West End of Montreal. And by the way, for everyone listening, Montreal is an island. Everyone seems to forget that sometimes when I chat with them. <laughs> we, we both grew up in the, West, in the West Island and then found our way out West. So we're both, uh, we both found our way and became Calgary. Do you call yourself a Calgarian now? I, I mean, I think I'm tipping over into Calgarian, but I still, I, I'm just, I'm hanging on to Montrealer. I'm hanging on to it. I did. I gave it up a few years back. I was walking down the street in Montreal and I'm like, oh shit, I'm a tourist. I don't, I'm not from here anymore. And it was a moment. I didn't like it, but I got over it and then I went all in, but I've been here a few years longer than you. So anyways, we will talk about the yeah. archetypes of when you are or are not a Montrealer. You've always got that little sass because that's what it is to grow up in Montreal and grow up, grow up. hundred percent. But hey, let's 100%. let's pivot away from that. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, great. You guys grew up in Montreal together. Um, oh, talk to me a little bit. You are a senior wealth advisor. And yes, I'm creeping right off your LinkedIn. I'm a professional creeper uh, at Wellington <laughs> Altus, senior wealth advisor. That's a broad term that we all kind of know, but give us give us your definition. What, what what do you do? What gets you excited about what you do? And then let's dive into it. Yeah. So I, I think for me, the, the biggest thing that I do is really support clients along their wealth building journey. Uh, so my goal is really to take all the pieces of your wealth puzzle and kind of map it out and guide you along that journey so you can build wealth um, you can live life you want you can retire when you want you can have freedom when you want um, and so that's how i support my clients day in day out and that's that's what gets me excited in the morning i love it define wealth just for the sake of the <laughs> can be a million different definitions how do you define wealth yeah so i think wealth is kind of all the pieces that go into you know um supporting and um, you know, I, I don't think it's just financial, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So okay. for me, it's not just the money in your bank account or your credit score or that sort of thing. 
I think wealth can also be how much free time you have, how you spend your time, um, what kind of freedom that you have available in your life. Do you have to work every day? Do you want to work every day? So I think wealth is kind of all encompassing. Sure. A big piece of that we support our clients with is definitely um, the financial aspect, but I don't think it's the end all be all or be all end all. Mm -hmm. There's the French coming out. Reversing things. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. I, I didn't even notice, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I love what you said. I love what you said about freedom and so much of like you know wealth is is the means, not the not necessarily the end result. Like oh, I have a big pile of wealth, but I either don't have my health, or I don't have free time, or I'm a slave to whatever environment I've created for myself. And I love the concept. You know, I got into a debate the other day. I'm in an executive group, and someone said the word retirement. I said, well, okay. Before we just like all go, oh, retirement. Like, what does that even mean? And it was amazing just quickly of like, well, it means this to me and it means not working. It means, well, doing what I want it means working more in non-for-profit means giving back. Like, I think part of the, part of the challenge, and I, this is, we could spend the whole rest of the episode unpacking this <laughs> is what these things mean and they, and being okay that they mean something different to each of us. But a lot of time we run around not knowing what they mean to ourselves, especially as you're younger and you're trying to build for the future where I, I don't know how I want to live in 30 years and can be very abstract concepts. So for you, how much of that with your early engagement with your clients is even trying to level the playing field so you guys are even using the same language for the same things? Yeah. I mean, that is probably, first of all, you, you nailed it. Absolutely. Retirement, retirement means something different to every single person. Um, I think for me, my biggest value is freedom. And so I really stress to clients the importance of what is your biggest value, what drives you and what gets you excited, what motivates you? How do you want to live your life? Because you're right, you could have boatloads of money, but have no free time or have no um, health. And then what do you do? Right. So I think for me, it's all about having those deep dive conversations to really get clear for myself, but also so the client has some great clarity on what does freedom look like? to you? How do you want to live your life? And what does that, you know, big R word of retirement look like to you? I find more and more clients don't necessarily want to fully retire and, and be done. A lot of clients really lean into, I want to do some, you know, work in a sector that really motivates me, whether that's non-for-profit, charitable, or earning a wage for it. Um, I find more and more clients don't want to live in one place, right? They want to live part of the year here and part of the there, part of the year there. And, and so I think, all those opportunities are available. I mean, we can we can slightly thank the pandemic, plus that, for <laughs> being able to have some flexibility in our working spaces, right? Um, and so I'm seeing that definitely more and more within my clientele, which is kind of exciting and really fun to plan for. Right? It's not your well, traditional, let's save a pot of money, right? It's really exciting. Which I love, and I, I'm, I choose to try to, I'm a silver lining hunter, so, you know, the pandemic, I think, was fantastic because it proved like, oh, that thing you said was impossible. It's by the way, in 48 hours later, it was all of a sudden became possible. I work remote <laughs> and just the freedom that that provides. It's amazing uh, how I, I, you know, and the trickle down effect or the knock on effect or whatever you want to say that that has caused uh, to even the word retirement. Uh, you know, and I was reading the other day, someone sent me an article and it was kind of like blame it on the Germans, which is like, well, where's this article going? And it was like, no, no, actually in the 1800s, someone, the Germans had implemented um, a mandatory retirement because they had this phenomenon of like, we'll get people 70 that are still happily working, but we've got this youth that have no jobs. What do we do? Let's start mandating this. Let's start encouraging it. And they said it kind of almost caught on too much <laughs> and created this, you know, oh, you stop here and no more. Like you, you ride off into the proverbial sunset. And that sunset was started to get defined, I think, in North America, like as the same sunset for everyone. And that right there just doesn't sit well with me at all. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I think as a society, we, would, we never want to be pigeonholed into one place, 
right? We want the freedom to be able to choose what works best for us, our family, our health. You know, we want the freedom. So I think saying that you have to mandatory retire and, you know, I have to check this again, but some of the large accounting firms have mandatory retirement dates. I've got some clients who have retired as partners there and 62, that's it, you're done. Um, you know, some love that, some don't, right? Some feel, some continue on and work for clients and that sort of thing. So I think having that flexibility and having that freedom is something that our society is driving more and more and more towards. And I'm definitely seeing it when I'm planning um, for clients and building their wealth. Which to me just gets me excited about more options. Yeah. Yes, please. You know, and then having a guide to help you along the way, because more options can also lead to more confusion. We say we want more <laughs> options until we have more than three choices and then we become paralyzed. <laughs> And you and I were chatting offline. I know that you focus a little bit, like obviously what you do can be applied across many cross sections and we'll even talk about that. But more specifically, I know you focus with business owners. How is that, yeah. how does the conversation, because I'm sure you've had them with many, you've narrowed in or you've focused in on business owners. What makes, and a lot of my audience I say would fall into that category, um, what makes that group unique and what is it about them that you like working with and what are some of the unique challenges that you see happening specifically for people that are kind of responsible purely and solely for their own futures, uh, you know, no pensions. And I know that's an, even a weird concept, but they're not getting a paycheck it, it, aside from one that they've created somehow through building a small, medium, or even large organization. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, where do I start? I mean, I just love working with business owners. Um, <laughs> one, I, I love the freedom of the planning, right? So we've got a corporation or sole proprietorship that we can work within. We can do some interesting things with. So that I love in terms of the risk and wealth mm, management. More, more flexibility. It's more flexibility. more flexibility. It's not your traditional just your RSP and TFSA. We can do a few different things. Um, we can position things differently if there's maybe a holding company involved. So th there's lots of options there. So that's interesting work. Mm. Um, and creatively trying to find solutions that really fit the entrepreneur's needs is great. Two, I love the mindset of the entrepreneur, right? They're, they're big, they're bold, they want to take risks, they want to do interesting things, they're open to new ideas. Um, and so I love working with that personality. And I think I jive well with it. I've been an entrepreneur, you know, I started my business in the, in this really cool financial time called summer of 2008 when, you know, the markets <laughs> were tanking. Um, that was a good time to get into the wealth management business. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been an entrepreneur through some ups and downs already in this business. And I think I've got, you know, a great mindset around it. And I know what the concerns are of some of my clients because I'm living them as well right? Frustrations mm -hmm. in staff or learning HR policies or trying to drive marketing or whatever it is, right? Within your business, I'm living it as well. So I can really relate to business owners on that front. Um, and then I, I think the third thing is that you never know what you're going to get with business owners, right? You know, they might be an X business and then they're like, oh, Julie, I'm starting a business in B. And, and you just sit back and go, I'm sorry, you're starting a business in what? Okay. All right. All right. What are we doing? So I love the, the, uh, the change and the evolving and the the surprise that can come with it. I find that really interesting and fun. Um, and it makes, you know, creative planning a lot of fun, which is great. Mm, no, 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 no dull days is what I've heard there, which I, you, you yeah, exactly. <laughs> as an entrepreneur, exactly. as, a, as, as a business owner, no, I, I, it is a certain breed that in a certain mindset that gets attracted to that something. And I don't want to go way down and geek out on this, but even the last kind of five years, has it become a little bit trickier for business owners? Like I know the government, again, this is spoken like a true business owner is working hard to close some of the strategies and some of the tools and some of the mechanisms, whether it's a personal corp or if you're, you know, a, a professional with your professional corp. And I know there's been a lot of things over the years, like, oh, geez, that isn't as beneficial as it used to. And it's getting a little harder. And for the people that pay their T4 and are like, ah, you know, there's no empathy in, in that, in, in that, what I'm about to pose, but because business owners is my audience and also yours, how's it look for, have the options become less? Has it become a little bit of a narrower 
playing field when it comes to how creative you can be with tax and with future planning? Um, I don't think it's become less. I think it's become different. Okay. So I think there are definitely different avenues that you have to explore. Um, maybe some traditional, you know, financial instruments have closed or aren't as feasible as they used to be. But I mean, the world is ever evolving and changing, mm. right? You know, I'll give you an example. So the, you know, a traditional fixed income portfolio used to be really focused on bonds, right? Like, you know, if we talk to our parents or grandparents, that's what they bought, you know, bonds. That's it. I mean, with the exception of a couple of blips in the past 12 to 14 years, we really haven't purchased bonds very often for fixed income, right? We've looked at other avenues for clients, um, so, you know, real estate, um, you know, different sorts of investments that are all out there. Um, some alternatives can be in the fixed income space. So we've really looked at different instruments for that fixed income space than even a generation or two before us. So I would say that the landscape is just ever evolving with what we get presented, right? High inflation, now they're raising interest rates. We just came out of a pandemic. You know, there's always a political landscape that's evolving and changing within Canada. So I think, and globally, frankly, um, so I think it's not necessarily that it's getting worse for business owners. I think it's just getting different. And that's okay. where you need someone to help guide you through and maybe look at different opportunities that are available that perhaps the business owner didn't really realize were available or were there. And fair enough. And what, and you know, what got you there won't get you, won't get you here, won't get you there or whatever that, 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 that saying is being, being very well aware that it is a fluid and ever, ever changing. And there's always new information <laughs> coming, coming, coming on, coming on the scene, uh, touching on it, inflation, uh, interest rate hikes, post pandemic supply chain issues, the big R word that gets floated around right now, not retirement, the other R word, um, Thoughts, perspective, because uh, clearly you have a couple, you have a crystal ball in your office that you use on a regular obviously. basis, right? Uh, just, yeah, it's like, just, like clearly, just it's just over there. Yeah, it's just out, it's just out of frame, there. folks. I can't see it, but I know it's there. Um, <laughs> any any thoughts or perspective? And and I'm only asking for a snapshot because this is a, this is a landmine filled question. I'm even asking. Anything <laughs> that you see, and, and you better not say, well, no, be in it for the long haul, and we're going to see some ups and downs, but consistently it'll go up. You can't answer that. That's all I'm going to push back on you on there. Because that's the standard answer, and I know already your tricks. <laughs> that was my go-to, Tyler. Well, you know, I sorry, um, sorry. Well, <laughs> Tyler, way to screw it up. Way to screw it up. <laughs> Listen, compliance only lets us say so much, okay? Um, and my crystal no, ball. No forward-facing so statements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, look, what's going on? We've got we've got uh, inflation that apparently keeps rising every month. Although we're getting data saying that you know inflation has leveled off. Um, uh, CBC News flashes up on my phone this morning saying that inflation has cooled to 7%. Um, the data we're getting is- I was listening lower. to CBC this morning and I heard it. It's, <laughs> it's leveled off, but it's really up. And no, it's really terrible, but don't worry, it's better. I'm like, that was a weird news report. <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> exactly. news report. You know, um, am I on board with raising interest rates? Look, I think we should be able to run an economy at you know a, a decent uh, interest rate level, for sure. Um, do I think that they've risen interest rates too quickly? In my opinion, yes. Um, do I think that, you know, the visual I keep having and I explain to clients is, you know, when you're landing in a plane and all of a sudden the pilot, you know, you touch down, they slam on the brakes, right? That's what I feel like the Bank of Canada and the Fed, frankly, have done to the economy. Okay. So we're all sitting there and we're happy we got our seatbelt on because, you know, we could slide a little bit and things. Um, do I think we're going to go into a recession? I feel like I get asked this all the time. Um, I, I think we're going to see some slowdown in the economy. We're already seeing it. Uh, you know, the technical definition of a recession is two negative quarters in GDP. <sighs> Look, 
at the end of the day, I think that's a pretty traditional definition at this point. I don't think that's something so that's as relevant as it used to be. Do I think we're going to go into that? Sure. Do I think we're going to see some issues in the economy? Yes. Do I think we'll have two negative quarters of GDP? I don't know. I mean, that's just too technical to predict. Um, I think we will see interest rates um, go back down uh, <laughs> sooner rather than later. I think what they've done is is, uh, is a bit too quick. But um, I also think we need to operate uh, a society at a reasonable interest rate. And, you know, 25 basis points where we've been for years is really just not a reasonable level. So um, I do think it's this delicate balance that they're trying to navigate. I don't think there's a perfect solution. And I don't think there's a playbook for this either. Um, so, you know, to say we're in the right or in the wrong, I think it's too early to predict. Um, mm. What does that mean for investments and housing and all the pieces? Frankly, housing, it depends on where you live in Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> because very true. Literally, there's pockets there. Um, you know, Calgary's always had a little bit of a bubble with, with the energy industry, as we all know. Um, for investments, frankly, you should always invest for the long term. If you're investing for the short term, you should be in some sort of cash or cash alternative. Uh, you know, if you need cash in the next six to 12 months, because the world is just moving at such a fast pace and it's unpredictable. Um, but to say there's a specific investment that you should be in or doing or whatnot, sure, we're navigating our clients and, and um, looking at their investments and, and supporting and guiding them with where we see the economy moving in the next six, 12 months. It's definitely different than where we've been, right? I don't think interest rates are going to continue rising um, in the long term. They might raise once more, um, but I think we're, we're nearing the tail end. So investments need to be repositioned for what we see going forward and not for hindsight. It, Julie, that was a fantastic answer, by the way. You outdid yourself. I'm, you didn't give me the canned <laughs> answer at all. You actually made a couple statements there and you took a few stances, which I really appreciate. <laughs> I will call you in six yep. months and be like, so you said this. No, I, so that was great. Thank this. you. Uh, it was right or wrong. Um. <laughs> <laughs> How much of a challenge is it for you? And I guess it depends on the client, depends on the, the individual human, that ability to think about the bigger picture. And, you know, humans are notoriously bad at living in the future. And you know, there's lots of mm -hmm. psychology around, you know, you're, you're asking me to do something today that could affect the me three years from now or five years from now. That's an abstract mm -hmm. concept for so many people, just even from a mindset as an advisor. And I guess maybe how do you navigate that? And is that one of your core challenges? I'm assuming it is. I don't want to predict, I don't want to predict my answer on the question, but we're so bad at, at, at planning for what future Tyler is going to really benefit in five years. Cause now Tyler really wants to do X. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think I think my role is always trying to navigate both. Because, you know, saying to a client, okay, you're 35, 40, 45, and cool, we're just going to keep saving and hope that it all works out by the time you're 60. Frankly, one, that's so far off. We can't we can't control so many factors in between 45 and 60. Two, frankly, it's boring. Right? Like it's it's not that exciting to <laughs> to not get anything for the next 15, 20, 25 years, but just kind of see this magical pot of money growing. So I think it's it's a little bit, and what I try and coach my clients on is the balance, right? So, you know, you like Starbucks every morning or monogram or analog or whatever coffee you like every morning. And people go, well, that's an overpriced latte. Yeah, but you know what? It brings me joy. It really makes me happy. It starts my day out. It really starts things out on the right foot for me. Great. Some people might call it a vice. Some people might call it a, uh, you know, a waste of money. Other people might say, you know what, it really sets the tone for my day. So I think navigating that balance of what sets the tone for your life now while planning for the future as well, right? So I, you know, coined the thing, invest in future you. It needs to be 
you need to be invested in things that drive you and make you excited and are worthwhile so that you are excited to save, which I know is just funny even to say. I'm, I'm smiling as I say it, but you need to be excited to save and you also need to enjoy spending for right now. Nobody just wants to save. And of course, we can't all spend everything right now because then we'll have nothing in the future. So I think it's navigating that balance that is so important and something that I really try and coach my clients. I really appreciate that. You know, I'll save and then I'll have fun and then I'll be happy and then I'll enjoy my life. That if then, then, if this, then that kind of, you know, <laughs> subtractive language around like, oh yeah, the the always doesn't really make sense. And I think we have such an, such a, culture right now that that wants to experience life and the experiential view maybe less tied to things with different generations than they were my parents generation they collected things they were they loved collecting yeah. things there's a generation yeah. now that doesn't looks very very different so you have these amazing experiences you don't have anything to show for it not like a deteriorating asset that's maybe sitting in the garage or in the lake or on the air, on the runway those are deteriorating <laughs> in a different way but you possess them you possess them right oh and i just and was really reading about the, the they are really fun because you can have really cool experiences with those things but anyways it's gets yeah. it's a very complex algorithm i was reading about the wealth tax this morning and then you know what what, what happens when i buy my car over a hundred thousand and my boat over 250 and what portion yeah. of the Canadian population goes i don't care about you rich people buying your rich toys and complaining about your tax <laughs> so that's another yeah, exactly. twist to it hey curious i have to i, I we got to open this can of worms okay this is a this is a white guy in suits world i was on a couple websites this morning <laughs> Maybe maybe it's companies you're affiliates with. They're like new hires, and it was like nine white guys in a row. And I have no problem with nine white guys, like zero problem. I might fit into that 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 socio. I might look that way, but it feels if I'm a female and I'm looking for investment advice, I'm not necessarily seeing my reflection out there as much as I maybe need to. And you and I've talked about the fifty one and the work they're doing, and the stats they have around the way wealth and the wealth transfer is moving, and the lack of opportunity that female entrepreneurs are even being provided. But yet we have female investors that don't know where to go to be able to put their capital to play with, with people like them. How much is that a factor for you? What do you, what do you see? I'm looking in, you're in the inside looking out. What does that feel like? And how much is that a factor? And, and I guess, is it changing in quote unquote, the right direction? Yeah. Um, first of all, I love that you open this can of worms, beautiful can of worms. Thank you for doing it. <laughs> I can't not, I can't not, I can't not. <laughs> Nine white dudes. That's amazing. Um, I think for me, Yes, there are a few female investment advisors. I read a stat recently where there was about 25% are employed um, by banks, that sort of thing. Um, and less than 5% are self-employed. And then trying to get the data of you know female advisors that are self-employed, both on the wealth and risk management side, is really challenging. I can't even get the data. Um, so we just go with one of the few. Um, yeah. So yes, I do find that I am working with more and more and more females, which is really exciting. Um, female business owners, female executives um, that really just are passionate behind their wealth, really want to have that independence and are really excited to be along that journey. So yes, I'm seeing that more and more. I, I still wouldn't say that I'm seeing tons of female coming into our industry, which I think is something that I don't know if it's an interesting, I don't know if it's because there's definitely the availability and the opportunities are there. Um, so I, I don't know what it is, but it still is a very male dominated uh, industry, 150%. Um, and, you know, I've had business partners for years that have been great. Um, I have two brothers I'm close with. I've been with my husband almost 19 years. Like, I'm all about the males. My dad was my mentor in this business before he passed away. Um, but for me, it's so nice to be starting to see um, some females in the industry, but it's not happening in droves. So ladies, come come on into the business. 
Come on. <laughs> I <laughs> <Right>? love it. <laughs> please welcome you. Please come in. I think for me, it's about finding um, a network of women entrepreneurs that I can relate to and discuss with their businesses and mine and the challenges that we're having. Because women tend to see things in the world differently, right? That's that's the value we bring, right? Just like men see things differently. Um, and I don't think that's right or wrong. I just think there's a difference there that's needed. And I think it's really important. Um, and I think for sure, um, I do have some female clients that really want to work with a female because they want that connection and they're really looking for um, those similarities. Um, and so I, I would definitely say that it's something that's growing um, in terms of my clientele. Um, I think it's trickling in, in terms of um, advisors, but it's definitely not happening en masse yet. And I wish it was. Have you ever, I appreciate your honesty around all that. Mm -hmm. Is there ever been a place where it held you back because you were a female? And that's, I hate even asking that question, but like, let's, let's address it. Let's talk about it. And if not, 100%. I've asked that question. People are like, no, I've not had that happen. Other people are like, yeah, yeah. And actually let me tell you, let me like mentored by your dad. I read your, of course I creeped on your bio like I do before every episode, Love it. you know, Love and it. entered in and took over. Yeah. You're through your dad's business. And so is there ever been, and like, we walked out going, whoa, that didn't feel right. That was something that I was held back there. Or there was some type of unspoken barrier because I was a female. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think there's two sides to this, right? There's there's the own um, pressure or bias that I put upon myself. You know, I shouldn't say anything in meetings because okay. I'm a female. I'm only three years in the business, four years, five years, six years. So I don't have enough expertise to be saying something in a room full of fifteen white dudes, right? There was definitely that. Um, I really struggled because I had my daughter three years into the business, and working from home was ridiculous. Like they. This, and by the way, this is 2011. Like this wasn't that long ago. Um, right. And people were like, I don't understand how you're going to work from home. And I'm like, I'm going to use this cool thing called a laptop and a phone. <laughs> and it's going to be real cool. And it's I'm called the, in, the in inter, it. It's the interweb. It's the interweb. I'm going to use really the works. interweb. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's, mm -hmm. you know, like 10 digits. And you can get a hold of me on this cool thing called the phone. Um, and it's been, and it's been around not. forever. <laughs> it is, you know, no, I appreciate, I appreciate I the mean, cynicism in it. Cause you're right. And like you and I joked ridiculous. about like the, the pandemic pushed the get, get, get over it real quick button, which I like on so many fronts. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, so for me, there was definitely two sides. There was that side for sure. I yeah. wouldn't say, I would say that side was a bigger factor for me. Um, and honestly something I really had to work forward, like work through because I didn't want to be labeled any of the negative labels that are associated with women, right? Um, and so, I mean, we can open this can of worms too, right? Like there's there's words that start with, you know, B or there's words, that, you know, there's certain yes, areas yes, there that women one. are labeled when they simply state their opinion. And sure, sometimes it's not stated appropriately, but if you're stating your opinion kindly and I would say forcefully because you really believe behind it, that's not anything negative. Um, but as a woman, you you sometimes are in a room and you look around and there's 15 guys and you go, Ooh, I got, what can I say? How do I navigate this? And how does that work? So I would say that that's been an internal struggle that I've really worked through. I would say that I have rarely encountered, um, a gentleman being rude, inappropriate, like any of that. And I've been in a male dominated. So that has been few and far between. I'm not saying it never happened, but I'm saying it's few and far between. Um, it was more of something where I really had to go inside myself and really understand that, you know, if I lean into any conversation or if I state my opinion and it comes from my heart and a place of empathy and a place of kindness, if it's taken out of context or something's wrong, I can't control that. Right. Um, but as long as I know that I'm leaning into that, then uh, to me, I don't think I'm I'm doing anything wrong. Right. Uh, and I think perspective 
you know, in a room full of 15 guys, one female, hey, maybe the female perspective is what's needed, right? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So let's flip it around. I would maybe agree. It's actually yeah, what's needed. Yeah, yeah. So mm. I think our world's really evolved even since I started in the business. Um, but I would definitely say that that's something that I really had to work hard to navigate. And I would almost say the pandemic was a tipping point for me of learning how to work from home, accept that, um, and, and be okay with all that. Right. Because our, mm. I mean, like everyone, our world, we had to. Which again, amazing necessity, the mother of all invention, uh, a term <laughs> that I've had, you know, ch ch I've chatted on the show a lot about, and certainly something that's you're seeing more and more is, you know, the concept of just psychological safety. But that doesn't apply to men or women. That applies to just humans in general. Do people feel safe in yeah. the room to express their opinions in a way that if they're different than the norm, do they get, you know, quietly fired or quietly, you know, cut out next time around? In this industry, do you find, and, I, I, and this is my own anecdotal thought, lots of times when I work with people in the professional services space, it's very much like there's a lot of gusto or a lot of confidence required because ultimately you're sharing your opinion that you will position as fact, but sometimes there's different interpretations. There's many ways to set up a portfolio. There's many ways, like you said, every mm -hmm. client is different. So that requires yeah. a certain degree of confidence. So when I talk to my advisor, I want them to be confident. I don't want them to be wishy-washy, but sometimes yeah. that can create a little bit of arrogance that you throw 15 of them in the room. It's who can talk louder and who has the bigger bravado and all yeah, you know, stuff. men or women that can go both ways. We'll just play. Would you find this yeah. is an industry that, that, or does it depend on the organization? Psychological safety, is that a concept that has, has come up or have you seen where you're in that room of 15 people? And in this case, it happens to be more men. I've had someone on the show, they said, hey, Tyler, this doesn't work for men either most of the time. We just don't realize it because there's always that pecking order that happens too. I'm curious about your industry. Is that something that is prevalent or is it a little bit of the, I know better because I'm, I'm a professional and you are too, but I know more than you kind of mindset? <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> That's a big one. I know. I want to say, yeah, like I want to say it depends on the room. Does that, does that make sense? I've definitely been in rooms where there's like a pecking sure. order for sure. A hundred percent. And there's bigger egos and there's people more experienced and there's the bigger, the louder, the voice and that takes over. Absolutely. Um, I, I think one thing, and I can't remember where I read it or where I've learned it, but I've known it for a couple of years is, you know, I tend to try and hang out with or draw my attention to the people that are a bit quieter because often they are actually saying the most valuable things in a room. Um, and so for me, that's where I navigate, whether they're male or female, it doesn't really matter. Um, they're sitting back listening and, you know, we've got two ears, one mouth. There's a reason. Um, and so that's, that's my dad speaking right there. Um, bless his soul. And, um, and so I think for me, focusing on that is key. Um, I would say my industry as a whole, I mean, I believe the average advisor in Canada's pushing 60 years old and it's 57 oh, really okay um, age, age it is wise. quite and i haven't checked it in a little while but i remember it being mid to late 50s for sure um and so you you know it's a different generation right tyler like it, it, it it's a different generation they grew up in a different way um things were of different value um and so they're just it's, it's nothing wrong it's just the way they 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 grew up and, and their beliefs um and so i think like any industry it's evolving and it's changing um but I still think, yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely some confidence and egos in my industry for sure. And I think it's the nature of what we do, right? At, right? at the core, most of us manage large portfolios for clients. Um, you know, some people say that's stressful. Other people say that's exciting. Um, you, you know, there's a lot there. And I think there's a confidence piece that has to come with that because 
frankly, like you said, if you talk to your advisor and they're wishy-washy, that's not going to give you much confidence. And this is your no, wealth, no. right? So I, I think it kind of comes full circle that we need to have a confidence. I think that confidence doesn't need to go take the next step and go into arrogance. I think it can go, you can sit in a place of confidence, kindness, empathy, um, without bordering on this egotistical arrogance um, idea. And I, I think that's a space that I really try and sit in is that confidence and really empathetic place for my clients because you're really trying to understand their needs so you can tailor the portfolio, their investment, the insurance strategy to what they need. Yeah, it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all model or, or it certainly yeah. shouldn't be in my, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, I get a lot of questions of, well, what would you do in this situation? And I often have to go back and say, well, it depends on what the client wants, depends on the needs, depends on so many factors. I can't give yeah. you a one-size-fits-all, right? And we shouldn't be able to as advisors. I wouldn't want to work with somebody who's, you know, I go to a lawyer for a real estate transaction. Sure, there's some processes that are the same, but I want them to tailor it to me and make sure that my needs are taken care of and what I need done, right? So yeah, the overall process might be the same, but you need to be able to tailor it to your client. You mean that overpaid agreement that I just bought from my lawyer wasn't some yeah. cut and paste involved in that? That was a, uh, that was an originally written document. <laughs> they put your name in there and <laughs> yeah, a few other things, okay? <laughs> my favorite is when you send a document back to your law firm a couple of years later and they tear it apart and I'm like, they're like, who wrote this? I'm like, um, someone at your firm two years ago. And they're like, oh, you so, did. You know, I'm like, <laughs> mm, anyways, that's, a, that's another episode. We're not going to throw, throw the lawyers. Under the bus. We love the lawyers. Um, they do yeah, a very valuable the, thing in life. Absolutely. They do for sure. And someone will, I'll get a call like, Hey, I want to come on your show to defend lawyers. I'm like, perfect. That means you were listening. Yeah. That's good. It means you held right. on. Amazing. I, curious just now talking about the, the business of the business that you're in. A lot of people in their sixties, is there a consolidation? Is there a transfer? Like, you know, you took over the business from your father. How did these is gentlemen, people, professionals, let's forget it. We'll, we'll park the gender thing for a second. We can just keep going down Perfect. on that road. But I, I really yeah. appreciate your perspective and I appreciate your honesty on that. Thank you. And, and lived experience. Uh, what's happening in the industry? Is there is there a transfer, a transferring of the guard? Is there like these, these advisors that have built up these huge networks based on trust and long-term relationships? They're now in their 60s and they want to quote unquote retire. Are they mentoring in new people? Like, cause that also really, really facilitates new people coming into the industry of like how much opportunity there is. So kind of what are you yeah. seeing there? Just the trends of your industry? Cause I'm assuming it's changing. There's a lot of yeah. people that are at that age that are like, Hey, I'm kind of game to do something different now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I love that. Um, I, I, I'm kind of seeing two pieces to it. So I'm seeing one, yes, the advisor who's bringing in a junior associate, starting to mentor them evolving, that sort of thing. You have to remember that a lot of advisors are affiliated with one of the big banks. And the big right. banks navigate this tricky line of, in my mind, tricky, of they technically own the clients. So the advisor can transition, but there's there's this dance going on, okay? Mm. Of, you know, can the advisor sell their business to another advisor or junior advisor, mentor, bring them in, and then transition the business down the road? Can they? Yes, maybe. There's certain rules, there's certain guidelines. The bank really has some tight regulation around it. It's a little bit different when you're independent. Yes, we have some overarching regulation that, you know, IROC, our governing body, says we have to oblige by. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm seeing, especially with Wellington Altus, we're seeing more and more junior associates coming in um, and then being mentored, and then a, eventually a transition will happen. And so I think on the independent side, and I've got some few friends with a few other dealerships. Um, on the independent side, they're telling you the same thing, that it's very much a transition, but you often can't find 
junior associates that want to come in and do the business. Because on the independent side, you don't necessarily get paid a salary starting out. You're an entrepreneur, right? So you need to make the business grow. And so um, there's that trickiness there of the big banks will pay a salary. So they get the juniors going in, but then sometimes you know, they, they end up leaving after a few years or they don't, they're not comfortable with it or they don't see the freedom that they thought they were going to have. And then they might come over to the independent side. And so there's, there's, I almost feel like it's a transition, but it's this kind of dance that that's kind of happening right now in my industry. And it really depends which dealership you're affiliated, if it's an independent or a big bank. Um, and then how that's being kind of nicely navigated. Um, I think we'll see in the next five, 10, 15 years, definitely a huge transition, but I think it's very individual. I don't think it's a blanket. You know, everyone's bringing in a junior associate and that's the way the industry's going. Definitely not. No, okay. definitely not. Yeah. I like the, the string I heard there is like, who owns the client or who owns the customer, right? At the end of the mm-hmm. day, who, like the financial institution or the advice. How much is some of this, you know, massive wave of you can't, you know, fin, again, fintech, ag tech, health tech, you can't, you can't find something, you can't bolt the word tech to. But fintech is very real, whether it's well simple or whether it's even what Neo Financial is doing right here in Calgary. Fin, a great, great story there. If you don't know anything about them, check them out. Yeah. Amazing. But that's starting like, you know, Neo's really hitting on the transactional side of banking. But also they're moving quickly into you are young, you are you're tech savvy, you want to manage your money differently, you know, the well yeah. simples of the world. And I could go, there's a whole laundry list. How is that impacting your business? And I'm assuming that's also, that's a whole nother factor that's outside of even what you and I have touched on so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So two, two points on that. One, I'm either getting clients, you know, I met with prospects yesterday uh, and they were like, Julie, it's been a disaster. I've been trying to trade on well simple. I can't do it. I lose money. I react emotionally. I don't pay attention for six months. Then it goes down. Like yeah. it's catastrophic, right? And so I like their honesty right off the bat because at least they're admitting what's like, actually going on, right? <laughs> I was like, there's a lot of those stories out there. Like, yeah. He was like, so you're going to look at it. I was like, yeah, no, it's like a daily, weekly event for me. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a concept. Um, so it's like anything, right? It's what I do every day. Of course, I'm going to look at the portfolios. I'm going to make tweaks or I'm going to have certain areas of the market that's you know going to be flagged to put in portfolios to take out that sort of thing. Fine. No problem. So I get that aspect of clients who say, Julie, I want to hand it all over to you. I've tried the well simple, et cetera, et cetera. It's just not mm. working for me. Then the clients who say, Julie, I want you to manage, you know, RSPs, TFSAs, make sure that I can retire, make sure that my welling, you know, my, my wealth is being built up at Wellington. Great. But I'd like to buy this junior mining stock or this buddy started this service company or this. That's where I say to them, you know, you have your own little trading account. You do your thing yeah. with it. Yes, they disclose it to me. I know about it, um, but I'm not there to give advice on it. I'm not there. It's really, you know, I want to support a buddy in this. I want to do that sort of thing. Absolutely mm-hmm. do that on the side. That's not something that I manage for clients. Um, the reason I like to know about it is one, of course, we want to make sure we're planning it's and we're investing of, in the same It's part of the por- portfolio, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And two, it's, it's a nice discussion point, right? When clients come back and they go, oh my gosh, my portfolio with you is, you know, up X and I'm only up Y you know, find, <laughs> see some value in what you're doing, which is, which is awesome. Um, so I would say a good portion of my clients have some money outside, usually something they're trading on their own on a platform like well simple or, you know, BMO investor line or any of those. They all have it. That's interesting. Yeah. Are you starting to see 
Like, have we kind of gone through that initial cycle of people that jumped on the well simple bandwagon even before COVID? Or a lot of people got like some of the stats you yeah. see about as the lockdown increased, the amount of money that went into Robinhood went up, and like those types of things. You know, it's quite. And then correlating the the investment in Tesla went up alongside. Like, just some interesting stats I've seen where they line up. Like, look at how these trends. You think they're related? Um, but you're right. Two to three years later, has some of the carnage started to show up? <laughs> I guess is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, and I mean we've had a we've had a very volatile market this year, right? So yeah, you know you were up the last six months has not been pretty. Yeah, it's not been pretty. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean if you haven't been managing assets properly, you've probably felt it a little bit more. I mean again, when when the market's up fifteen percent and you're up twelve or eighteen, it doesn't really matter. You're happy, right? But when the the market's down twenty five and you're down twenty thirty, whatever you're down, it starts a little bit more, right? So people start to see the value a little bit more perhaps what an investment advisor can support them with, right? Um, So that's definitely something I've seen for sure in the past six months. Um, I would say we've been busier in the past six months than than we've been before that. And a lot of clients telling me the same thing. You know, Julie, look, I I was invested with Wellsimple or or whatnot. I was doing it on my own and I don't have the time anymore. The other thing was during the pandemic, everyone was at home. What are you going to do on Tuesday night? Well, I guess I'll trade my stock. Sounds good. Yeah. Right. But now people are out socializing, doing things, you know, conferences are back, seminars, are back, everything's back in person. People don't have the time they had in 2020 or even 2021. So I think there's that transition as well that we're starting to see. But also, I would have guessed you're working with business owners. I know this for myself. Like I have a volatile portfolio. It's called my business. It's called anything can get you, you know. <laughs> I heard, you know, being a business owner is like being a deer in the forest. Everything can kill you. Like success can kill you. Failure can kill you. Like everything is after you all the time. So you're always, you're always on, you're always on high alert. And yeah, often at the end of the day, as much as uh, I, you know, it's kind of like the person has never worked out before, but yet they feel they should just know how to, because it's like, and that's a very, I'm, I'm, I'm being a very guy. I'm going to go to the gym. I've never worked out before, but I know, I, I know how to do it. So I should, I should also know how to invest. I have made that mistake many times and go, you know what? I just need to admit, I am not good at this. I'm not going to take the time, nor do I have the skills, and then find somebody I trust to 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 do that for me. But uh, and I know I have some buddies that 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 tell me they're great at it. You never really know when your buddy tells you about the big return. I'm not saying they're liars, but sometimes you don't really know. I have a friend who never loses when he goes to Vegas either. I don't believe that either. I just don't. I don't believe it. Like there's there's actually studies that have been done. Like you're gonna lose eventually if you go to the casino repeatedly. Like this is gonna happen, right? Like. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, it is something where people really, really focus on the gains, right? So everyone tells you about the 20, 50, 80, whatever percent that they apparently made on this apparent cool stock that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've never heard of, right? Like if I have a penny, dime, dollar, whatever for that, I'd be a multi-millionaire, seriously. Um, I think the key with me is we're not sure. The rates of return are part of it. Absolutely. It's an important piece, but it's not the full piece to build your wealth right? We also need to develop some great habits in terms of saving. We also need to develop some great habits in terms of balance, um, in terms of your spending and your saving. We also need to target some of these goals you want to achieve. The other thing is I find a lot of my clients don't necessarily want to, you know, work till 65 and then retire, right? So like we touched on before, they want to get a rental property or they want to work part-time or they want to, you know, so there's a lot more going on and there's a lot more moving pieces to their portfolio and their wealth than just simply, you know, I'm going to save $500 a month in my RSP and that's what I'm going to do until I retire at age 65, right? So I think having the guidance of a professional when you've got so many moving pieces, it's kind of needed, right? Um, And so that's where I see more and more of my value, you know, my time being spent. Investment strategy is important, but it's, it's, you know, even several studies have shown, you know, the amount of time you're in the market 
actually can give you a greater rate of return than the actual rate of return that you're making year in, year out, right? Time is our biggest biggest asset. That, that, that lesson of compound interest, we all learned probably in grade four or five. I think there's a rice uh, parable about, you know, pay me the rice, but it will double every day for X amount of years. And all of a sudden you've got, a, you know, a million tons of rice in, in a very short period of time. That's, it's true. Like, it's like a lot of the things you right. learned in, in elementary school. They're, they're, they're all true. Um, yeah. High level, back to the crystal ball. What gets you the most excited about? Obviously, the markets are volatile, and maybe a recession. Maybe what about your industry? And obviously, you have a clear passion for it. And I love your energy; it comes through in spades. But when you think about the next five years of just your industry, and whether it's the opportunities or the tools you have available, or access to different client groups, what gets you the most excited? Yeah. Oh, good question. Look at you, Tyler. So good. <laughs> I love these. It's like you've been doing this for a while. Um, <laughs> I think I think the number one thing is probably the independence and the freedom. Um, Wellington's doing an unreal job of making, um, you know, advisors feel really supported, um, moving more and more into technology to service our clients better, which has been a huge focus of Wellington. So I'm, I'm very passionate, mm. very excited about being able to service clients better. Um, our team right now is five, um, and I'm really excited to grow um, my team. I hope I hope to bring on the junior advisor as shortly if I can find one. Um, so, you know, the growth and the expansion in my industry, um, I think is really exciting and the shift towards tech and, you know, traditionally banks, investment industry, the life insurance industry, the, you know, the overall insurance industry is very archaic, right? We still deal with a lot of paper. We still, we still need a lot of wet signatures for things, you know, you can buy a house with DocuSign, but no, 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 the beneficiary in your life insurance policy has to be wet signed. And there's reasons behind that, but I'm excited to see the change and the development in technology um, and move towards something that's a little more streamlined and easier. Um, and I really hope more and more women come into the industry. I think it's something that um, it's a beautiful place for women with their empathy and, and their, you know, their craving for connection and, and they're wanting to develop great relationships. I really think it's a great place for women. So I hope to see more women coming in. Absolutely. Because I think there's, there's really, really nice opportunities there. I think the last thing is the big transition of wealth, right? And we touched on this mm -hmm. a bit with the 51 and they've been very vocal on that. I think the transition of wealth from the old generation to the next is going to be spectacular. I think, um, you know, preserving that wealth and being able to grow that wealth for clients is going to be really exciting in my career going forward and um, something I'm really excited to support clients with. It's kind of those yeah. big like career career events. You know, they only you only get so many of them when they happen. And in the yeah. world of financial, you you definitely always remember the big oh the two thousand eight. Like you said, oh, I started my we started oh, yeah. we started I started my marketing agency the same year, and it was great because when you're the startup, you'll take everybody's work who was who you know who needed a break from their big vending partner. So there's a lot of value in starting at a time like that. You learn you start with a sharpened pencil. <laughs> it's great. 100%. But you know something like the transition of wealth and just you know you use the word spectacular, which is great. Your excitement for your industry and what you do is <laughs> contagious. So I'm, I'm excited about what you do because of how excited you are, and I think that that's Yay! so important. That's when you're awesome. when you're advising and you're you know, like you gotta have hope. You know what do we have to? You know I had, I had a I had a leadership coach ask me years ago, ex military guy. He said, Tyler, what's your number one goal as a leader? I said, Oh, that's a big question. I go, I think oh, about this. Big. He goes, Hope. He goes, if you can, it's still hoping the people around you that tomorrow's going to be better than yesterday. He goes, what are you doing as a leader? It's like, oh, speechless. Yes. <laughs> but I see your role is so much, so similar, similar. I'm like, I've got, I got nothing to say. That's amazing. And I've carried it around ever, ever, ever since. But when you think about what's going to awesome. get me excited about the next 20 years is the hope that it can be what I want and having someone to help me yeah, build that narrative. That. I think it's, it's critical for sure. So, sorry, I'm reflecting back the excitement you fed into me this whole episode. <laughs> 
Yo, that's amazing. I love that. Hope. Gosh. Whew. Good one. <laughs> the simple, the simplest four letter words. Um, right? Julie, how do people get uh, this? I feel I'm going to stop saying this, but I can't, I'm addicted to it. Cause it's what I've done for 300 episodes. How do people get a hold of you? Cause that's, you know, these <laughs> days we don't have any with technology. Like I'm drowning in technology right now that I could use to get the Google. What's, what do you prefer? What's the best way for people to reach out that we all have our preferred forms of communication? Yeah. I mean, DM on Instagram seems to be a popular one. So my handle's at Wealth with Julie. I'm on LinkedIn under my very long name, Julie Shipley Strickland. Uh, you know, my contact info is all there, but my email um, is probably the quickest way to get a hold of me simply yeah. because I have a lovely, lovely team member that's supporting me and helping me answer all those emails. So that's Life is about helpful. the right support, um, the, the right support team in all senses. Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic. So, um, yeah, and my email address is long-winded, but it's julie.shipley-strickland at wellington-altus.ca. See, you're better to go on my LinkedIn. And <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 I'm going to give that one. That was a handle, but you are memorable. So I think it's 100% worth it. Julie, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank thanks you. for the work you do. And just thank for just how much passion you are. And uh, we need more Montrealers out here because, you know, I, I'm going to I couldn't agree biased, with you more. I love it. That was, that, that, that was a great episode. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Tyler. Really appreciate your time.